In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, my friend, Alan Fadden. Hello, Carla. Good day, sir. How are you? Good day. It's a, well, I'm, uh, I'm excited about uh, doing this because this is very different. It is very different. One of my favorite books, and uh, I'm excited about, you know, talking about it. It was fun going, again, going back through it. This series has been fantastic. All books that we appreciate and have read in the past, and it's interesting putting a different layer, a different view uh, with identifying the hoodoo method and how to pretty much put gasoline in a match and understand how you can use uh, what's in the book to get to the how, right? Yep. And so for today, we are going to be talking about the world famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. However, the title of our podcast is How to Wound Friends and Incinerate People. <laughs> because like with all the other books that we talk about, it's a great book, but it's missing some stuff. And the missing things can be quite, quite damaging if you don't pay attention to them. Mm -hmm. Because people are different. different. <laughs> and also tactics, right? So this book is, is definitely um, jam-packed through with a ton of tactics. And it was written in 1934 by Dale Carnegie. It has sold over 15 million copies uh, worldwide. And it's kind of interesting. Dale Carnegie is an interesting guy, man. So, and I think, and the reason why I don't always talk about the author specifically, but when we get into these books like Think and Grow Rich and, and this How to Win Friends and Influence People, uh, you're talking about 1934, different time. So I, I want to talk a little bit about Dale Carnegie and where he came from, and then also a little bit about the time frame of, of when the book came out and what the world was like then and why the book was so revolutionary to this day. Uh, however, at the time, it's like, whoa, right? But Dale Carnegie, he was a poor farmer's son, and, but he still did go to college. And right out of college, he went into sales, ended up uh, selling bacon and soap and lard for Armour and Company, which actually is a company that's still around today. And what I thought was so interesting about him, he was the ultimate sales guy. So we definitely probably have a mover on our hands here. And, it, you know, a lot of people get him mixed up in thinking that he was related to Andrew Carnegie, the steel tycoon, but he changed the spelling of his name mm -hmm. from C-A-R-N-A-G-E-Y to Carnegie, which was the same as Andrew's C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, mm -hmm. I never knew that before, but I picked up that little uh, piece of information and I just thought, wow, what an interesting ultimate sales guy to think of that, right? Back in 19, probably is, uh, it could have been prior to 1934. I don't know what the time frame is, but definitely the ultimate salesperson. So yeah, I would have wanted to have bought my lard from him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but the book was really revolutionary for its time. I mean, think about 1934 and what was happening, right? 
Uh, you know, working was more of a dream than a reality. And in 1929, the unemployment rate, right, uh, was 3.2 percent. All right. And then in 1933, it grew to 24.9% and 12.8 million people were out of work. Think about that. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. And so most Americans, they fed their families through temporary day labor jobs. So they basically would go to farms and then, you know, work on a farm for the day and hopefully cross your fingers you had some work but then of course the drought came and i'm sure most people seen the there's a documentary um called dust bowl right so a lot of people moved to big cities and that's when they start working in manufacturing because manufacturing jobs you know started popping up and so six percent of the population at the time were professionals and really think about who this is you know driven towards yeah it's amazing yeah, actually. And then just think about Great Depression, people just wanted to make money, right? So this book was really written at a different time, in a, a unique time in history. And uh, there was a different, you know, different generation, different values, right? So I think, you know, a part of it is that I love the behavioral techniques in this book. And at first it was hilarious that I thought, oh, this book is written for movers. So I was like, no, it's actually movers have more of a natural ability to it. It's actually written more for the introverts, right? They give you these behavioral techniques, right? Because you don't want to tick people off. That's absolutely true. And I love that about the book. But you know what? I don't think, and I think what's missing is, is that that's not enough when the object of the exercise is to get something done, right? You can't fake it. And if you understand somebody's core nature of work over each of these tactics, then you can have, you know, an understanding of who they are, have some grace for what they're good at and what they're not good at. Yep. And that's a, you know, one way to look at this book is it's a great baseline. I mean, if you're treating people badly and you can change your behavior just in what you say and what you do to treat them well, that's great. However, you can go a lot farther, and we know that today. And so it's good to treat people well, but what's better is holding them in their brilliance, their excellence in getting things done. Mm-hmm, yeah. And, uh, I'll, I'll give you, but but I, I liked a lot of the stuff in there when they were talking about, about the language, how you'd sort of soften the language, you know, and be a little more polite about it, and, that, and that's great. Now, one of the things, one of the dangers in there uh, looks something like this. I remember when I was working for a large advertising agency and uh, they had put the account people through a similar kind of a training. Uh, you know, when they used to, the account people used to go to the creative people and say, that's a terrible idea. Why don't you get your work done? You know, so oh, that's, and the creative people hated this. So they put the account people through a training and one day an account person came in and instead of, uh, saying what they usually they say, they said, um, I have a concern about that idea. I have a concern. And uh, <laughs> so it's like, what? And the creative, they just kept repeating this. Well, yeah, I have, but I have a bit of a concern about that. And so after a couple of weeks of this, one of the guys I worked with, uh, uh, a couple of account people came into his office looking for, you know, his deadline and have to, meet, to have his work done. And uh, 
And he says, oh, Steve, Judy, come on in and pull up a concern and sit down. <laughs> Can't get any more flippant than that, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, you're selling me a line of bullet. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just not genuine to say that. That's the thing. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of a book that uh, I think we both read at one time or another, a very popular book by J.D. Salinger called Catcher in the Rye. Oh, good in one. Holden Caulfield, the lead character, was just always talking about everybody as these phonies. Wow, look at that guy. What a phony bastard he is. <laughs> and uh, so on, on the other hand, this does teach you to be polite, but just don't take it too far. Because one of the observations I've always enjoyed is that the word polite, the root of that word is also the root word of police and of politics. Polite, uh. police politics yeah and everybody likes politics right <laughs> right <laughs> and so and, and i agree with you polite is awesome i really enjoy polite people i like being polite but guess what politically correct you know i actually love people who are real versus politically correct right i want people to you know say what they think i want them to have the freedom to be who they are and if you really it's like you want to be polite, but you don't want to be fake. And I think there's a real, you know, slippery slope on that one. And when you talk about politics, think about Washington, D.C. Does that have, give you a warm, fuzzy feeling about how all that stuff, especially, gosh, today's day and age, you can't even read the news. It's like, that's all it is. And everybody's positioning and everybody's trying to, you know, win somebody over and get them on their side. And it's just like, it feels very icky and it feels very um what's the word disingenuine and uh i think that's the that's the like it's great to be polite it's great to treat people with respect you can't push it so far that it's 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 you know politics right and, and, and it's gosh it's you know that's two sides of the same coin and that's a very thin coin yes so uh the other way you can't push it too far is to become, you know, not not just phony, but kind of like greasy phony. And I'll give you <laughs> one of my favorite examples. Eddie Haskell from Leave it to Beaver. He was Wally Cleaver's friend. And he'd always go in and say, Mrs. Cleaver, what a flattering dress. You look so wonderful today. Why, thank you, Eddie. <laughs> He was so annoying. Oh, I mean, he always said the right thing, and then he was like the biggest, you know. He was totally insincere. Yeah, totally. Well, he was always the one getting everybody into trouble. So he was yes. like, e -e 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 -e. So he's hypo Flatter hypocritical everybody. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I think the other thing about it, and again, love the book. I, I and and again, I thought it was written for movers. It's actually written for introverts to give them some help, right? Um, because not everybody understands the object of the exercise is to get something done and understanding that somebody's core nature of work and their brilliance within that work, right? But you, so many books, even we just did Think and Grow Rich, which talked about the mastermind. We just did First Things First, which talks about synergy. You know, I think the other piece is that this is kind of a two-dimensional tactic where there is no synergistic application of politeness. And again, the object of the exercise in business is to get something done. And so I can make somebody like me all day long. And I would probably say in a sales situation or with customers, that's different. I'm actually talking about 
in the context of working with your team and getting things done in business is that, you know, you really have to focus on how each core nature of work wants to be communicated with and appreciated for, right? Like what, is it, what are your talents and what's your contribution, right? So how about we go through each core nature of work just to give our listeners an idea, um, you know, about how they want to be appreciated for. Does that sound good? Good one. Okay. So, well, this will be an easy one for you. Shaker, <laughs> how do you like to be appreciated? Hey, Al, great idea. Wonderful solution. That was brilliant. Yeah, shakers love to be praised for their ideas. They like to be listened to. They like to be, uh, they like to be held in their magnificence as a, as a thinker and especially an out-of-the-box thinker. Yes, yeah. And they like uh, appreciated for all the different ideas, right? Yes, useful ideas. Not just ideas for their own sake, but something that's really going to move the needle. Yes. And the other pieces, and I would say the opposite of that is um, what we often do instead of that. So we'll do the opposite. <laughs> I didn't think about this, but the opposite is what do we do? We look at a shaker and we go, squirrel, oh, yeah. your head's in the clouds. Um, gosh, you're such a dreamer, right? And, and so, you know, what do you want to be appreciated for? And what do we typically do, right? So to be aware of that and then apply it to, you know, the tactics in the book. Okay. So a mover, how do you think a mover? And I, I would yeah. answer this, but I'm just curious. <laughs> I know. Exactly. You can answer this way better than I can. But a mover that loves to be appreciated for their core nature, which is to move things ahead. How do you do that? You set priorities. You make a plan. You enroll everybody in the plan. You check it out. You make sure it gets done. Gosh, you, you hit the nail. That's exactly what I would say. So okay. after you set the priorities, the best way is you need almost – almost zero to actually, as far as feedback, you know, like words, the way that a mover feels appreciated is that when we choose the idea and we set the priorities, that you work through the priorities from the priority that starts with all the way down. And that if you have a challenge, you know, come back and figure it out so that we can hit the goal and hit the deadline and work synergistically with the entire group. I think a mover feels very appreciated for the time that they take to figure out and facilitate what we're going to do and then handing off, you know, actually getting it done. And so movers, you know, they don't have a, a dog in the fight is like, I have to say, they, they, they don't care whose idea it is. They don't, they just want to get something done. That's a great idea. That's going to move the needle forward. All right, so approver. How does approver like to be appreciated for their talents and contribution? Oh, wait a second. I didn't say in a mover, by the way. What we typically do is we go, gosh, you're so bossy. Oh, do you always have to be in charge? And it's so funny because everybody will say, wow, do you always have to be in charge? Do you always have to be the leader? But yet every meeting you go to, what are you the one doing? Taking the notes, the facilitating the, the maybe. And everybody looks to you to do it. And then they're like pointing at you like, why do you always have to be in charge? It's like, yeah. uh, because I'm not going to be in the meeting unless it's a fruitful meeting, right? Because that's a yeah. disengagement. Like, so there's the opposite of what we do instead of uh, appreciating the talent. So prover, appreciation yeah. of talents and contribution. So a prover has a great knack to be able to see around corners and tell you everything that's going to go wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of seems like that person's playing the Prince of Darkness when they do that. 
but they're not because what they're actually doing is presencing flaws in the idea. So this is part of the hoodoo method so that they can be fixed in concept form. That means you haven't built anything you have to throw away. You can, you can actually think an idea through, you can improve an idea simply by pointing out the flaws and then having the shaker come up with ideas to correct the flaws. So a prover, one way to hold them in their excellence is say, okay, have at it. Cause I'm sure you're sitting here thinking of all these uh, ways in which reality can adversely affect us and all the ways we can get in trouble. So tell us how we're going to get in trouble so we can, we can avoid that harm. Exactly. And love them for it. Right. And yes. it's like, and, and what Thank do we typically you. do? Thank yeah. Yeah. Gosh. We do. We go, gosh, you're such a downer. You're such yeah, a you, pure, right? Gosh, you're right. such a pessimist. You just saved our butts, but you're a pessimist. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Makers. How do makers like to be appreciated for their talents and contributions? Oh, we got to talk about the prover's downsides too, right? Oh, well, no, no. What we call them, I did. So what we typically oh. say is Eeyore and right. Oh, we, oh you got that. You yeah, got that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I was so excited about that that I realized what we were <laughs> well, doing. Well, that's because the poor provers have it the hardest, right? The provers yeah, are the ones that, that, you know, I'll never forget when we did that training and it was like one of the ahas was, wow, provers aren't so bad after all. It's like there really is, a. I feel poorly for them because they get they're so brilliant in what they do and they're given a real hard time uh because they are later adopters and because they are thinkers and they want to poke all the holes into it and so i think that they're the one of the most underutilized assets uh, within all the core natures of work and actually they're among the most responsible of the people because what they're really doing is warning everyone of impending danger and they have a lot of courage to do that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Love it. Okay. So maker, let's move on to that. How does the maker like to be um, appreciated for the talents and contribution? Yeah. So there's, um, you know, it's, um, I think we, we had coined a phrase a long time ago. It's, uh, it's not innovation until it gets out the door. And yeah. it's a, the maker is the great finisher. It's a person who can do the details and uh, the person who can take a checklist and as you say, eat that checklist for breakfast. Mm -hmm. They can get the stuff done. They have, when people say focus, focus, well, the, the maker naturally focuses. So don't try to get a shaker or a mover to focus so much on the details when the maker is the, is the lord of the details. Yeah. So uh, they're a great finisher. And also they don't want to be in the meeting uh, because. Uh, yeah. You can appreciate them just by saying, go ahead and go do some real work while we work on this stuff. Right. That's I right. mean, how many times that's like every time we've done a training. Okay. Who's maker well, raise well, their hand. I, it's like, who doesn't want to be in the meeting? <laughs> all of them raise their hand again. And, yeah. and it's also that they, they, another reason they don't want to be in the meeting is that it's, it's like every idea is a threat to things running smoothly. And so we're actually causing them pain by demanding that they be in the, in the meeting. Now, what you get in return when you make a, appreciate a maker for their brilliance 
is uh, you get a lot of things done and you get an ability nobody else has, which is to see that things in such great detail, they can point out flaws in an idea. You know, We've never used the loading dock uh, to take, uh, to take things in before we've just sent things out. How, where are we going to put it? You know, they'll, they'll find details that nobody's ever thought about because mm -hmm. they fly so close to the ground. They can yeah. see everything. And they really like, because they're natural doers, they do like being appreciated for just execution. Execution is like, oh my gosh. And every day being able to execute yep. specifically and to what you ask them. Now, the other way you can appreciate them is give them very specific details. Don't make them come up with how. Tell them what to do. The feedback is a little bit closer to the radar. Listen to it, but don't give them, hey, uh, I need this and I need it by Friday with nothing else besides that. They're just gonna sweat. <laughs> you could be oh, as God. nice and like them as much. You're just, yeah. and they probably won't say anything, right? Because they, right. they're doers, so they're just gonna go back to their, you know, desks and go, oh my gosh, this is crazy. It's best to have a prover give them the instructions because a prover has the patience to get in the kind, into the kind of detail that they need in order to do their job. Yeah, and a maker, typically what we look at, and I, gosh, before I understood this process, I was so bad about this because remember, movers and makers are a, what we call red light relationship is we would be in meetings and I would be like, how do you never have anything to say? Like for me, and I didn't know it was, it was, it was, a, it was a very curious question, right? So mm -hmm. those are the kind of things that we look at a maker and go, wow, you have no unique thoughts. You, why do you never have anything to, you know, input here? Because in their mind, they don't want to be in the meeting. They just want to be eating their checklist and getting things accomplished and doing the real work instead of the disruption that they feel when you're talking about how you can do things better or, you know, maybe a new initiative or whatever the many, many things that you would be, you know, having a meeting for. Yep. So uh, we actually had a, a great example of a prover today. We were in a meeting. Oh, with, I know. You and I <laughs> and uh, the Uber prover on our team. And we said, Hey, let's make it, let's make an offer that to people that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll give them like a half an hour call to answer questions and things about like their core that. nature of work. Yeah. Remember? About their core nature of work yeah. and how they fit together and so forth. And the prover says, well, you may want to think a little more about that. <laughs> and we're saying, we're saying, Oh, how come it's such a good idea. Well, have you thought about that? Let's say that you get 500 people to, uh, uh, to I'm sorry, a thousand people to respond. Which would be which would possible. Be possible. Like you didn't know the numbers. number. Yeah, we didn't know the number, but it was possible, right? <laughs> and, and if you had half an, half an hour meeting with each of them, that would be 500 hours of work that yeah. you'd be creating. It's like, we're like, mm, oh, why don't we think this through? There might be a better way to go. And, and it was great because, Alan, you basically said, oh, my gosh, thank you for being a prover instead of why are you poo-pooing our idea? Right. Right. It's a completely different way of looking at it. And so now all of a sudden you look at, you know, one of the, I know the tactics in there is, you know, call attention to people's mistakes indirectly. That was not an indirect mistake. Our prover basically said, you guys are nuts. Are you yeah. about that? Exactly. <laughs> and, and, we're, and we're happy to hear it. Exactly. Like a lot of times it's like, no, this is the idea. This is why we're in. People get so stuck with the idea that they're not open and appreciative of the fact that, 
you know, poking all the holes in it is a good idea uh, and try, and then you go back to why he poked the holes in it. And then what happened? You were like, oh, you and I kicked ideas around. Then what could we do? And we even changed it again after that and improved it again after there were challenges. Remember? Because the second meeting. Four hours. Exactly. Because we were going to do four different webinars and we ended up doing a process of one and then going. And so it, and that came from the prover as well, again, about the same, same project, but a different meeting where, you know, we still came up with ideas and then he poked more holes in it. And it's like, all right, you're right. That's great. We didn't think about that. There's a better way to do it. And yeah, um, because it makes it, it makes it safe. And we'll say more about that. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're we'll get into the, the some of the tactics here. So yeah, and I brought it up. I have brought it up several times now about the tactics and, you know, the way and the tactics are great. There's like probably about 50 of them in this book. I mean, it is chock full of how you can engage with somebody and make them feel important. Really, that's that's it. And so that they it's the Maya Angelou. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. That's really like a great way of encapsulating this book. And think about that in 1934, right? But the way if you look at this, and I'm looking at it not from personality, by the way, because the book leans a bit towards personality, even though it's a complete business book these days, right? Uh, but, you know, or work, like it, some type of work, corporate, business, whatever, right? But it's about how people you know, communicate together. But business, the object of the exercise is to get something done. So let's take a moment and go through a couple of these tactics, Alan, and look at how you can overlay it looking from their core nature of work instead of all these tactics that you try to get somebody to do naturally, which is not natural to their core nature of work. And it's like pushing a parked car to ask somebody to be who they're not in that in, in the work and you're actually making the work either harder or mediocre or it, you're not getting the most of somebody's brilliance and so one of the ones uh, that I really I just laughed at and I thought of you Alan um, mm -hmm. when I was reading through the book is let the other person feel like the idea is his or hers yeah hell no <laughs> 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 for shakers that's a death sentence yeah this that, that would be like the the uh, flight attendant who says when the oxygen mask drops down first give your uh, first put it on your own face and then you put it on your child's face right exactly and uh, this is like when the oxygen mask drops down just hand it to another person and don't take one for yourself that would be <laughs> The yeah, equivalent to that to a shaker. Yeah, and, and shakers, you know, they imprint, and imprinting's good. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And and so uh, uh, that that's a way that a shaker, it's always got to be my idea. So uh, what does that mean? If a prover raises a problem with, the, with uh, somebody else's idea and I solve the problem, you know, that would be... Uh, uh, so to go back to the last example, it would be like, it's going to take 500, 500 hours. And then, so you say, well, let's do a webinar, uh, instead. And, uh, then now that's, that's, you own part of that, that idea because you've imprinted it. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, 
the response. And that's a good point. I think that it happens on the shaker and the prover side, not so much the mover and maker because they're the doers right. uh, and they just want it done. They don't really care whose idea it is as much yes. as the shakers. But provers like to, they imprint when they can pick the holes in it, which is just a new another idea, mm -hmm. right? We look at it as, oh, that's naysayer. No, it's just an idea. And then the shakers use ideas to overcome those obstacles. So I think this one is really interesting for, and it's opposite to shakers and provers, right? So just understanding that. So if I, if I went to Alan and said, Hey, Alan, you need to, you know, say every, every idea is somebody else's idea. That's like saying, yeah, your brilliance. Mm, yeah. Work against it every single day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be, that'd be worse than a pay cut. Yeah. And, and, and as I was reading through for the mover, one of the ones that, uh, just stuck out to me that I was like, oh my gosh, if I had to do this, I would die, um, is dramatize your ideas. Like the whole point is make it a drama to like make it a story to bring people into your story of this big picture, amazing thing that we could just, you know, I was like, oh gosh. Yeah. Now that, that, that's another anathema. It's like, uh, you know, what are you going to do, a five-act play on this idea? Movers want to get the schedule done, set the priorities, get the team going, get all the roles established, all the handoffs established. Let's go. Yes. And so uh, who's got time to do that? Yeah, but you know what? A lot of shakers might be really good at that, right? Oh, it's yeah. Natural shakers would, would, uh, would love that, and, and that would be fine. And, you know, again, people are different yeah so understanding that and not asking a mover if you literally ask a mover to dramatize their ideas they're going to roll their eyes and say i already worked through this set the priorities what do we need to talk about here i do not need to sell you on this big storyboard associated with let's just get busy i'm wasting a half hour of time here people that's right so so, so one size fits all is one of the big flaws in this yeah thing. good point point. and at the time it probably wasn't a flaw because it was probably pretty revolutionary to people. Ex doing I, and I completely agree with you. And knowing people's core nature of work, I don't think you need to dramatize anything if you include everybody, because we need you all, we need you at different times. And if we look at you and in your brilliance, what's going to happen is nobody has to dramatize anything. Why? Because everybody had a part of it. Yes. Like you don't have to dramatize yourself. You're the one who already was a part of creating it. And you that's truly, yes. <laughs> yep. We, exactly. Um, we, what do I always say? We, um, we, what, what we build, we, um, support what we build. Support what we build. Yep. Exactly. So another one that I saw and this one, and I brought it up earlier because it was hilarious is with approver. And one of the tactics in the book was call attentions to people's mistakes indirectly. Yeah. Oh like, boy. That's like, that would be like somebody saying, well, someone here forgot to make the phone call. You know, yeah. Talk like, about passive aggressive. That's how it feels, right? Why do you do it indirectly? Just say, you know, um, I think you haven't thought about that. Just direct, right? And I think here, a part of this is that when you run the hoodoo, the critique, and I think what they were talking about here is not critiquing the person, but when you run the process, you're critiquing the idea. So it makes yeah. it completely safe. And you're also referring to people's mistakes before they happen so that no individual made these mistakes. We're, we're just oh, hitting off the danger of what could go wrong. 
Yes. So there's not a person involved there. It's just a, it's just the, you know, what can we do to improve this idea? And there goes Deming, 94% of failure is process failure, not people failure. Yeah, and go. remember, we didn't have all the processes and the systems and the technologies back in 1934. No. So I think, again, we've got to look at the timing of the book, but somebody reading it today is going to look through the lens of, you know, uh, 2019, not, you know, however long ago. So, uh, okay, so let's move on to the maker. This one was really interesting because... This thing, this tactic is totally easy for a maker, but probably not as easy for other core natures of work, which is let the other person do a great deal of the talking. Like that's easy. That's what makers want. Yep. So that fits a, that fits a maker. And, um, but it's also in some ways a setup for awkward silences. Good and point. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with yeah, a so, maker it would be right awkward silence just like yeah. when you're in a meeting and you put a maker on the spot what do you think yeah what's what are your ideas about this fred uh, and fred goes um well uh so instead what if we again celebrate the other person for what they're what they're great at in their core nature and what they and what they do naturally and, uh, you know, so a conversation with a make, maker, if you want to have a real conversation is, uh, and the maker can start this off by asking the questions like, uh, what do you need done? How many by when? What are my yeah, instructions? And then, and then they let the other person do all the talking. That's perfect. Exactly. Right. And so understanding who you are and then understanding who everyone else on your team is. So you're not talking to a one size fits all, like you said all earlier. Right. And when they're asking those questions, how many by one, what do you need done? What are my instructions? Make sure you ask them to approve her because mm -hmm. otherwise you're not going to get detailed enough instructions to really get anything. Uh, yeah, there's another good point. So in that context of core nature of working, getting things done, the maker understanding the question they need to ask, letting somebody else do all the talking, but make sure that person's the prover because that's just the mover is just going to go crazy that they want that much detail. Right, right. So that's how it's unique to everyone. So every, all the tactics are fantastic. It's just, it's not a one size fits all. And every tactic's not going to be natural to everyone. You can learn from it and try to understand it's good to treat people well, right? But it's, it's, that's when you're focused on getting things done, everybody being happy and singing Kumbaya and having a potluck on Friday, like I always say, the object of the exercise is to get something done. And a part of that is understanding who you are a big part, who you are as your core nature of work and who everybody else is. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the difference between the golden rule, which we all know about, and then uh, I think it was Tony Alessandro who introduced the, the platinum rule. The difference between those two, the golden rule is something like this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So that's a great idea, and the golden rule was pretty much the, uh, the motto of the day when this book came out, but uh, there's an, there's even an improvement on that. And I think that's what we've been talking about today. And that's the platinum rule, which is do unto others the way they would want to be done to. Yeah. Good stuff. Love it. Love it. Awesome. 
Oh, this is a great podcast. I love this stuff. I love this. I love going through these books and looking at it from a different lens uh, and revisiting them as they were all some of my very, very, very favorite business books as they were yours. So, uh, well, we're going to wrap it up for today. Thanks so much for being here again, Alan. It's always a great conversation going back and forth and supporting our listeners in understanding the hoodoo method. And we are now in the beta test of our uh, hoodoo assessment. So we are going to put that in the show notes. You can also go to the peoplecatalyst.com. Again, that is plural. And in the show notes on the website, and we'll probably include it on social media, for a limited time and a limited number, we're not sure how long it will last, the beta test is going to be free. So this is an assessment we typically charge $60 for. So take advantage of it. It will let you know, are you a mover, shaker, prover, maker? And of course, we don't bring up oneers very often. This is 1% of the population that can move through all four core natures of work. They are the 1% that 100% of the work is made for. And, and that, 100% of that book was written for. Good point. <laughs> Most books, right? Yes. And, and so we are on the mission to revolutionize the way work is done. And we hope you enjoy that. Feel free to give us any feedback and we will be in touch. Until again, or until next time, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.